Open your Bibles with me to the book of Zechariah, chapter 3. Zechariah, chapter 3. And then use an envelope or whatever you need to. Get Exodus 28 and Leviticus 8. Exodus 28 and Leviticus 8. So Zechariah 3, Exodus 28, and Leviticus 8. I have uh, just had a, a wonderful time this week studying this text. I'd mentioned to you that, that we were going to come back to this, and it's, it's just an amazing... Oh revelation of God. The thing that I love about the Bible, and the thing, one of the things that is um, so, oh, just sad when you look at Christianity as a whole, is just the surface way that most Christians approach the teaching of the Word of God. And, you know, there are no superfluous words in the Bible. Every word of God is pure. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And there's a reason for that, that God, every word that God used is on purpose. And when we look at how He uses these words to illustrate what's going to happen with Israel, what's going to happen with us, all of those things, um, when we see it, it opens up the meaning that God had for us. And we're going to see some of that today. So look with me at uh, Zechariah chapter 3, and let's read the chapter. And He showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. Do you see that? Now if you haven't done it, mark the filthy garments there. I want you to see something. Mark the filthy garments. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. See the filthy garments there again? Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. And he said, Let them set a fair mitre upon his head. So they set a fair mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by. And the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house, and shalt also keep my courts, and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. Dear Heavenly Father, help us as we study your word today. Um, there is more meaning in this text than I think most of us see just through a cursory reading. Lord, help us to learn from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, immediately, because we understand the New Testament, um, Let's, let's try to do this. I know that you have markers in all these places. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2 in verse 7. 
Here's what the Bible says. Paul writing to Timothy, he said, Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Do you see that? Consider what I say. That's Paul. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Whether we realize it or not, as New Testament believers, this is what we do. So when we hear John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life, we see the gospel. The only problem is John 3.16 is the gospel is not in John 3.16. What's the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The death that, that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. That's the Gospel. So we read John 3.16 this way, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to die for our sins, to be buried, and to rise from the dead the third day, and that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Isn't that right? How many of you would agree that's what you see in John 3.16? And let me say this, that is the intent when we read John 3.16, that's what we're supposed to see. The reason that we see it is because we already know what the Bible says in the book of Romans about the gospel. Who did God use to write the book of Romans? Paul. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. The apostle Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 4, that we are to put off the old man. And he talks about all the wickedness that's in that, and put on the new man. And that's get rid of those filthy garments and put on the clean garments. We, we understand that, right? So when we read Zechariah chapter 3 and God tells Joshua, hey, take off those filthy garments and I'll clothe thee with new clothes. We know what that is. We, we see immediately. How many of you are glad that God took your filthy garments and He's clothed you in the righteousness of Jesus Christ? We see that. What would a Jew who was reading this, have seen. So we have to understand the original intention of the text. What is God saying through the prophet Zechariah to the people of Israel? Remember, they've come through the captivity, that 70 years of Babylonian captivity. They've come and they started building the temple, but Sanballat and Tobiah started giving them trouble and the Samaritans gave them trouble and the king finally said, stop building it. Well, now Zerubbabel comes back and and uh, Zechariah comes back, and Haggai comes back, and they're prophesying, and Haggai is challenging them to rebuild the temple. They say, okay, we will rebuild the, te build the temple. Zechariah challenges them to continue in rebuilding the temple. And so that's the context of Zechariah. So now we have Joshua, the high priest, standing there in filthy garments. What is this talking about? Look at verse 5. And I said, so before it's the angel of the Lord, it's Jesus Christ speaking. Now Zechariah is speaking. And he says, let them set a fair mitre upon his head. So what is this talking about? Then the next thing it says, so they set a fair mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments. And then what does it say? And the angel of the Lord stood by. Okay, now, if you're not interested yet, you're going to be. This is so cool when we look at it. So I know, how many of you just don't like shopping? You're not interested in clothes, you don't like shopping. Okay, some of you don't have your hands up, but it's obvious that you don't. Okay, now, now this, is, this is, when we start talking about these clothes, you're going to, you know, think about, oh, what are you wearing? I'm wearing Armani. What are you wearing? J.C. Penier. Right? And you hear these people talking, and you really don't care what kind of clothes they are. 
Well, we're going to look at the kind of clothes that are being spoken of here. And you got to plug in because God did this for a reason. And when we get to the end and you see it, you're going to say hallelujah. Okay? So now, go with me to these clothes, this mitre. Let's find out what's being spoken of. They're holy garments. Holy garments. Look at Exodus chapter 28, verse 4. So here's what's going on. God is establishing the Aaronic priesthood. Now let's look at chapter 20, Exodus 20, look at verse 1. And take thou unto thee, so he's speaking to Moses, and take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And look at verse 2. And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother. And what are those garments for? For glory and for beauty. For glory and for beauty. This high priest was going to need to look different than everyone else. And is it for his own glory and for his own beauty? Look at verse 4. And these are the garments which they shall make. So they have these artificers and these, these wise people in the use of fabrics and materials and metals and stones, precious stones. Verse 4, <clears throat> And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate and an ephod and a robe and a broidered coat, a miter and a girdle, and they shall make holy garments for Aaron thy brother and his sons, that he may minister unto the people. What's it say? Unto me in the priest's office. So this glory and beauty, it was for the glory and beauty of the Lord, not for the glory and the beauty of, of Aaron and his sons. Do you see that? Look at the next verse. And they shall take gold and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen. And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue, and of purple, and of scarlet, and fine twined linen with cunning work. Now, go with me to Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 8. So these holy garments, how many of you can tell they're going to be special garments? They're going to be special garments. And I want to say this. Um, once you get Leviticus 8, stop and look up at me for a minute. Why... Do we, why have Christians historically dressed up to go to church? Why do we do that? Now, my father's grandfather, my great-grandfather, no, it would have been my, uh, my father's uncle. My, no, grandfather, my father's grandmother and grandfather. I was trying to remember the story in my mind. Um, my dad's parents weren't Christians, but his grandparents were. So dad would go and visit his grandparents over in Marion, Indiana and stay on the farm and work, with, work on the farm with his grandparents. And they would go to church. And his grandmother, this is one of the sayings that she always had, we might have to sit on boards, but they're going to be clean boards. How many of you ever heard something like that? Right? And it's interesting. I think poor people today could learn something from the poor people of the past. And they were very poor. My dad's grandparents were very poor. They didn't have hardly anything. But she said, we might have to sit on boards, but they're going to be clean boards. There's a difference in the culture. Money does not make someone good. Lack of money does not make someone evil. There's a character involved with either frivolous rich people or frivolous poor people. Right? Different message. Now, 
My dad's grandfather only had two sets of overalls. He had two sets. One for every day. What was the other pair for? Sunday. Sunday. Wear to church. Can't you just picture that? The, the dark blue, stiff overalls that he would wear to church. What was he doing? See, the issue is not, do you have on a Joseph Abood sport coat? Be impressed. Everyone go, ooh. How many of you don't have any idea what a Joseph Abood sport coat is? Okay. They're for short, fat people. Um, it's not, the issue is not, do you wear a certain style of clothing? The issue is, do you do your best for the Lord? The reason that Christians have done that is because of this. When the high priest was going before the Lord, he wore very special clothing. He wore very special clothing. And what's the idea? You bring your best for the Lord. Now, because we believe in the priesthood of the believer, and it's not only that we believe in it, because the Bible teaches the priesthood of the believer, we understand that we're a priest wherever we go. Isn't that right? Wherever we go, we are a priest of God. Wherever we go, if you're a born-again believer, we understand that. But the idea is that when we come together for corporate worship, that we're going to do our best, that we're not going to look like we're getting ready to go to a barbecue. Right? That's, it's really quiet in here. And see, part of the problem is we have a very casual culture now. We have a very casual culture. I saw on the news that there's this thing about girls burning or spray painting their wedding dresses after their wedding. And it's just a violation of a beautiful tradition. And, and really, they shouldn't have ever had the wedding dress because the white wedding dress is for purity and they probably weren't pure if they don't care about it. Right? Um, if you're a guest with us, yes, I am this hard. Um, we have a very casual and lackadaisical culture. Let me ask you a question. How many do you think God wanted the high priest to approach... The, the holiest of all. That, it's not called the Holy of Holies in the Bible. It's called the holiest of all. Uh, how many of you think that God wanted the high priest to approach the holiest of all where the mercy seat was in a casual or lackadaisical way? And yet we as believers are so lackadaisical because we live under grace and because God has given us this wonderful gift of eternal life and we don't have to live by the law. What can happen is, and because of the legalists that add so many things to salvation, if you don't dress a certain way, you're not saved. If, if you're a lady and you wear makeup, you're not saved. If you cut your hair as a lady, you're not saved. Uh, you see, because people have added things like that, that kind of legalism, um, well, those who do believe in grace, what can happen is we become lackadaisical in the way that we approach God. How many of you believe God is still holy? How many of you think God is still concerned with how we approach Him? Right? So let's take some care in how we come to church, how we're dressed. Uh, Pastor, are you saying I'm not dressed right? I didn't say anything. All I said was let's take care in the way that we approach the Lord. I can tell you this. If I came in here with a pair of shorts and a Hawaiian shirt on, a pair of sandals, um, you sandals, <laughs> Nobody wants to see my feet. <laughs> I just personally, I just don't think that that would be the appropriate way for me to minister the Word of God in this place. Jesus wore sandals. Yeah, he did. And he wore a long robe, and his, his clothing would have been different 
from that of a casual person. Amen? There's a difference. There's a difference. Why did they gamble over his clothing? Because those ladies had made him a special coat. Why? Because he was the Messiah. He was the Savior. He was different. So this is not a message on clothing. I'm not going to tell you you have to wear this kind of clothing, you can't wear this kind of clothing. That's not what I'm doing. What I'm saying is approach the Lord in a special way. Let's be careful that we don't become too casual in the way that we approach the Lord. Let's make sure that our children know that Sunday's special. When we're going to get dressed up. Why? Why are we going to get dressed up? So the girls can see what we're wearing. No. We're going to get dressed up because that's part of our worship to the Lord. We're, we're making a sacrifice. We're going to spend some extra money. We're going to set something aside. Remember my, my, my great-grandfather? He didn't have a lot of money, but he had a special pair of overalls just for church. We're going to set something special aside because it's time to go worship the Lord. You know, we live in a time when, guys have a, when families have a hard time burying their loved ones because their loved ones don't have anything worth being buried in. Not because they didn't have the money, because there was never any reason for them to look special. Right now, let's go on. Um, Leviticus chapter 8, verse 7. Holy garments. And he put upon him the coat and girded him with the girdle. And Now, the girdle, it's not what you're thinking. Okay, it's a, it's a belt. All right, cummerbund type thing. All right, uh, verse 7. And he put upon him the coat and girded him with the girdle and clothed him with the robe and put the ephod upon him and girded him with the curious girdle of the ephod and bound it unto him therewith. And he put the breastplate upon him and he put in the breastplate the urim and the thummim and he put the mitre upon his head, also upon the mitre, even upon his forefront, so the front of the mitre, did he put the golden plate and the holy crown as the Lord commanded Moses. All right, so what are we seeing here? That the high priest was supposed to have special holy garments. So when we understand what's going on in the book of Zechariah, Joshua the high priest comes before the Lord and he's got filthy garments on. And God says, remove the filthy garments from him, and I will clothe him. And he clothes him. He says, get him a miter. He gets him this clothing. It's this clothing that's being spoken of. So let's get an understanding of what this clothing was, these holy garments. They were gold and purple, scarlet and fine linen. First of all, there was the coat of fine linen. Go back to Exodus chapter 28. Let me just, oh, just put a little hat on, on the conversation or the monologue that we just had. Um, in our culture, people get really bent out of shape when you talk with them about their children, when you challenge them about their politics, or you challenge them about the way they dress. And this is what happens. Even Christians, as soon as the preacher says something about clothing, people, they just... There's a, there's a real um, rebellion that comes up. Now, notice, I want you to think about something. I did not say you men have to wear a tie to come to church. I didn't say that. 
I didn't say you ladies have to wear a particular kind of dress to come to church. I didn't say that. What I'm saying is do it for the Lord. How many think the Lord's worth that? Seriously. How many think the Lord's worth that? Let's make, let's make our children believe that they're going to something special. You know, why are we getting dressed up? We're going to a funeral. That's the only time. Let's make it special. Listen, all right? Um, pray for me that I can focus now on what I'm supposed to be preaching to you. All right, so let's look at this coat of fine linen. Exodus chapter 28, look at verse 39. And thou shalt embroider the coat of fine linen, and thou shalt make the miter of fine linen, and thou shalt make the girdle of needlework. This coat of fine linen. What is the coat of fine linen? This was a long garment that would be worn next to the body. All right? And it was a coat of fine linen that was embroidered. It was a very beautiful thing, but it was plain. This coat of fine linen. Over the coat of fine linen was the robe of the ephod. The robe of the ephod. What is the robe of the ephod? It's a seamless coat. It's a seamless piece of blue linen that it would be like a tunic. And he said, cut a hole in the top of it and then embroider around the top of it so it won't tear. And so they would put that over the top of the robe of fine linen. Now, it, it was blue. Now, how many of you have ever seen a picture of the Virgin Mary and she's got this blue garment over her robe? How many of you have ever seen that? That's where that comes from. How many of you believe that Mary is your intermediary or high priest? It's very interesting. The imagery of Reformation and pre-Reformation art, the, the imagery of... Uh, the, the, of the Roman Catholic art. It was designed to teach Roman Catholic doctrine. And so it's interesting that they would take that and put that on Mary. And the reason for that is the teaching that Jesus is mad at you because of your sin. But if you'll approach him through his mother, who can resist their mother? That's the idea of that. So here, even in a doctrinal message, even in a message describing how God said the high priest was supposed to approach him, we see a distortion of that in religion. Now, let's step back for a second. If you're here today and you are a Roman Catholic, that's the possibility. Um, look, we love you. We love you. I'm just explaining where this imagery came from. And then your job would be, as a Roman Catholic, to go back and find out why. Why is it that way? Amen? That's what, that's what we should do. If I, if I say to you, people, Baptists do this, well, then find out why Baptists do that. Uh, generally speaking, it'd be, it's because it's in the Bible. Um, now, look at... Um, oh, let me just run through this. This ephod of linen, it was embroidered in a very special way. Around the bottom on the hem were... Um, pomegranates, just uh, embroidered pomegranates, and it was intermingled with golden bells. And the, the pomegranates were a sign of fruitfulness, a symbol of fruitfulness. And the golden bells were testimony. And it's interesting, the Bible says, look in Exodus 28, look at verse 31. And thou shalt make the robe of the ephod of blue, 
And there shall be a hole in the top of it. And this is what I was describing, but let's just skip this for time. Go down to verse 35. And it shall be upon Aaron to minister, and his sound shall be heard when he goeth in unto the holy place before the Lord. The sound of what? The sound of the bells. And when he cometh out, that he die not. So here's the idea. When the high priest would go in once a year to make the sacrifice for the nation of Israel, those bells on his robe would be jingling. And if they stopped jingling, that means that he had unconfessed sin and God had killed him. And so he would have a rope tied to him and you'd just, okay, haul him out. Because who's going to go in after him? Nobody. So there was a purpose for all of these, this, all of this clothing. It was to, to describe something. And of course, it is to describe Jesus Christ. Maybe it would be a good study for us to do to show how it all represents Christ. The next thing is the breastplate. It was supported by the ephod. There was a place on the breastplate. The breastplate was square. It was woven. It was not a metal breastplate. It was woven. It had a pouch. And in the pouch were the umen and the thumen. The urim and the thumen. They would go in there. And then on the outside of it were 12 stones. And, on, and the stones were very precious stones. And on each of the stones was named, was engraved the name of one of the tribes. All right? So there's all of this, the, the breastplate and then um, the miter. The miter was on his head and we've, we've looked at that. Now, I want you to go to Ezekiel 28 again. Look at verse 42. And thou shalt make them linen breeches, breeches, to cover their nakedness from the loins even unto the thighs they shall reach. Now, this is where the Mormons get their special underwear, all right, from this text. Um, and they shall be upon Aaron and upon his sons. And when they come in unto the tabernacle of the congregation, or when they come near unto the altar to, to minister in the holy place, that they bear not iniquity and die. It shall be a statute forever unto him and his seed after him. All right, so now, here's what he has. He has linen, these linen trousers and this simple robe. And that's what he wears when he goes in to make sacrifice. Go with me to Leviticus chapter 16, and I want you to see what this sacrifice is. And I'm begging you to stay with me on this because it's going to be worth it. Leviticus chapter 16, look at verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, we've already read that, verse 4, um, the Bible says, He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh and shall be girded with a linen girdle and with the linen miter shall be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water and so put them on. Now notice he doesn't have the ephod or the breastplate. See that? This is, these are the holy garments. They're the linen robe. They're the, um, the, the breeches, the linen breeches. And the miter on his head and the girdle. What's the girdle for? The girdle is to keep the rope from getting in all of the mess that's about to happen. Look at verse 5. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats 
for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. All right? So this is where he's confessing his own sin and sacrificing for his own sin. If he has not confessed all of his sin and is coming in a, in a clear and holy way, then those bells stop ringing. Come on, ring those bells. All right, now. Verse 7. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. Now, what's this? Remember they cast lots for Jesus' vesture? Remember that? Jesus Christ, the one on whom our sin was laid. And look what the Bible says about the scapegoat. Verse 9, And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of the fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. Okay, so he's gone into the holy place. You have the outer court. He's gone into the holy place. You have the altar of God and the altar of the Lord. And so he's taken the coals from that and some incense. And now he's going to go within the veil into the holiest of all where the mercy seat is. And look what the Bible says. Verse 13. So he's within the veil. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. Why would he die? God can't look on sin. He can't go into the presence of the Lord in that condition. Verse 14. And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. Why eastward? Why eastward? Why is that? He's got to face eastward and sprinkle it eastward. Why? Why? Remember, there's only one door to the tabernacle. There's only one door to the temple. The tribe that camped outside that door, the door faced east. The tribe that was camped there at the eastern gate was the tribe of Judah. The only approach to God, the only sacrifice is through the lion of the tribe of Judah. All of this has a purpose and a point, and it all points to Jesus Christ. It's all very specific. And then look at what it says. The end of verse 14. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle the blood with his finger. What's it say? Seven times. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their what? Uncleanness. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in to make an atonement in the holy place until he come out 
and have made an atonement for himself and for his household and for all the congregation of Israel. And he shall go out unto the altar that is before the Lord and make an atonement for it. And shall take the blood of the bullock and the blood of the goat and put it about the horns of the altar round about. So those horns of the altar is going to hang it on those horns of the altar. And he shall sprinkle of the blood upon it with his finger, what? Seven times. And cleanse it and hallow it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. Now look at what it says. And when he hath made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. What's he done? Tabernacle of the congregation where the people are and where God is, they're separated. The sacrifice is making a reconciliation of the people with God. That's what just happened. All right? That's what, that, that's what it says. And then look at what it says. He shall bring in a live goat, verse 21, and Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall go and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. Now look at what it says in verse 23. Everything I've been telling you about all of this is to bring you to this point. Look at what it says. And Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of the congregation and shall put off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. Why? Because they're filthy. Do you see how many times he's killed an animal? Do you see how many times he has killed that animal and put his hands in the blood of that animal and brought it in to the holiest of all and put it before the Lord? All of that blood, all of that filth, all of that wickedness has made his garments filthy. So what's he going to do? Look at verse 24. And he shall... Remember, he's taken his clothes off in the holy place and he's left him there. And he shall wash his flesh with water in the holy place and put on his garments. What garments? Those new holy garments. And he shall put on his garments and come forth and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make an atonement for himself and for the people. And so now what is he going to do? What's he going to do? Now he's going to minister to the people for the Lord. So what's going on here? What's going on? On the day of atonement, Aaron performed his holy ministrations in the simple linen coat, trousers, and mitre. It was not until he had made full atonement by the elaborate ritual typifying the redemptive work of Christ that he could put off the linen garments soiled in the performance of his duties and put on the garments of glory and beauty. What's going on? Only after this change of clothing did he come forth to minister. See, now it was not for the people before God. Now it was to the people on behalf of God. So now go with me back to Zechariah, and I want you to see this.
And he showed me Joshua, verse 1, the high priest standing before the Lord, I'm sorry, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. What's been going on with Israel? Here is Israel, and they are trusting in the sacrifices. They're trusting in the rituals. They're doing all of the things that made him filthy. And yet they've never experienced the branch, the one who can himself remove the filthy garments and clothe them in right garments. Let me read this to you. Through all the centuries since the consecration of Aaron, the Hebrew people as a nation have remained in the dirty garments of religious labor and zeal for God. Having rejected the finished atonement made by the Lord Jesus Christ, they have never received the garments of glory and beauty. They have not yet gone forth as representatives of Jehovah to the people of the earth. What this passage is talking about is what happens to Israel when they receive the branch. Look at the last verse of that chapter. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. Why? The end of verse 9, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. When they receive the branch, all of that religious ritual that they've been trusting in, they'll finally understand the one that it all pointed to. And what's he going to do? He's going to take off their filthy garments. He's going to clothe them in holy and righteous garments. And he's going to do that not only for the nation of Israel, but he's going to do that for the whole world. I want you to notice something. When they put that miter on their head, when, look, verse 5, the Bible says, And I said, Let them set a fair miter upon his head. That fair miter, remember what it has? On this fair miter, on the front of it is a plate that's made of blue linen, and on that blue linen is a plate that in capital block letters says, Holiness to the Lord. Holiness to the Lord. The whole purpose of the high priest is what? It's to bring holiness to the Lord. Is that right? I want you to notice something. Go to Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14. Now remember what happens in chapter 14. At the end of chapter 13, the people call on the name of the Lord. Chapter 14, Jesus Christ comes and establishes His kingdom. Now look at verse 20. In that day shall there be upon the bells of the, what? Horses. Holiness unto the Lord. Notice the way the words are written. What in the world is being spoken of here? How is it that something is so holy before God that it is only allowed on the miter of the high priest. How is it that in the kingdom, the horses have bells on them with the same letters written in the same way, holiness to the Lord? Because when the Lord comes to rule and reign, He will redeem everything 
so that everything brings glory to Him, even the beasts of the field. That's what happens when Jesus Christ rules and reigns in perfect righteousness and in perfect holiness. That is the day that we are looking for. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's what's going to happen when Jesus Christ comes back. You know, I'll read you, James Knox wrote it this way. He said, In the modern world, brilliant men devote their lives to dreaming up new ways to act, or new ways to uh, attract the attention of men and women in order to promote or advertise a product. What a great day is coming when one hears the ringing of bells, turns to see beautiful horses prancing by, and notes that the message is not for beer, cars, food, etc., but a proclamation of praise for the Lord Jesus Christ. Holiness unto the Lord. I want you to think about something. The ability to wear that holiness to the Lord was reserved for the high priest. When Jesus Christ is the King, when Jesus Christ is the King, everyone can. Isn't that wonderful? That's what we're looking for. That's what we're looking for. Until then, you and I are kings and priests. Tonight, we're going to look at what the Bible says that we are to do as kings and priests. 5.30 tonight. Based on all of this, when God gave Joshua these new garments, these holy garments, He then gave him some jobs to do. The Bible says that you and I are kings and priests. Is that right? Priesthood of the believer? I think we have some jobs to do. We're going to look at that this evening. But isn't it wonderful that when we compare Scripture with Scripture, we see the filthy garments were the result of religious exercises. But the religious exercise was only to point to the one that could make you clean. Have you come to Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Have you trusted Him alone for your eternal life? Are you trusting in your good works? Do you know what your good works are? They're those filthy garments. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Jesus Christ wants to take those old garments off you. He wants to clothe you. He wants to robe you in His righteousness. Only He can do that. I hope you'll submit to Him as your Lord and Savior. Lord Jesus Christ, thank You so much. Lord, I know that in this passage I was convicted.